0: Want to make your own podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easy, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. Here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like I have an outlet for the creativity and ideas I want to share with the world. I recommend you give it a try. We all have a voice, so share it with the world. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app, Or go to spotify.com slash podcasters to get started today.
1: Unfortunately, in many churches, this sort of thing is de-emphasized. A lot of pastors don't want to talk about the idea of the excluded middle. Most Christians don't want to think about that. They're okay thinking about the earth. That's the bottom, so to speak. And they're okay thinking about God and maybe, you know, his angels to a degree. And that's okay. That's at the top. But there's this whole middle arena, including the realm of dreams, and that that's where all the warfare takes place. Most pastors and, and most Christians don't want to venture into that area because it's more fuzzy. You do need spiritual discernment to know what's going on there because it's not taught. There is so many weird paranormal things going on at that college. And again, it's a Catholic minor seminary college. Hauntings, telekinesis, poltergeist activity. Everybody just knew if they were a student, you don't go into that part of the music department after dark. It was haunted. I became a witch, I became a witch high priest, plus I was instructed by the Grand Druid of North America to become a Freemason. The guy that owned the occult bookstore told me I should look at the Satanic Bible. So I got in the Church of Satan. It just kept getting worse and worse because that's how the occult is. It's like a drug and you keep needing a bigger hit and a bigger hit to get the same results.
0: Welcome to the Days of Noah podcast, where we talk all things biblical, supernatural, and strange. Today we celebrate episode 50. Yeah, 50 episodes, guys. Man, we could not have gotten here without your support, without God's help, and just the the privilege and opportunity to come back here every week. Uh, My brother and I, sometimes my friend Don, sometimes with a guest, you know, many of our first episodes was just Luke and I or Luke, Don, and myself uh, before we ever had any guests on the show. And what a privilege to to continue this journey. So we can't thank you guys and God enough for just continuing this project, uh, going on almost a full year now, episode 50. So with that, guys, we have a special treat of a guest, uh, Mr. William Schneblin, Bill Schneblin. If you guys are not familiar with Bill, man, hold on to your hats. His life experience, his rich, diverse experience prior to coming to Christ, and then all of that knowledge because of how deep he was in the occult, bringing all of that knowledge into Christianity and being able to warn others, to give discernment in spiritual warfare. He is just a wealth of information, so do make sure to uh, follow him uh, in his ministries uh, with one accord. And uh, yeah, so here is part one. We're going to talk occult. We're going to talk supernatural, some of the things that he got into before he came to Christ. And uh, give some advice, too, on how to deal with the occult, how to deal with Halloween that's coming up. And, uh, yeah, we trust that this will be a blessing to you and your family. So do make sure to like and share this episode, to send it to your family and friends, to take just a minute. Pause right now, even, and click five stars for the review to help grow the channel. Uh, We appreciate you guys out there. So, without further ado, let's bring on Bill Schneblin.
1: Well, Wisconsin has some very weird, for lack of a better word, vibes. Many years ago, I mean, this is probably in the early 70s, this book was written, I can't tell, he thought it was called Wisconsin Death Trip and was talking about all of these just really strange people that seem to be lurking in the woods of Wisconsin, you know, up, you know, like up north near Rhinelander and all of that. And I had an incredible experience in Rhinelander. But, you know, Ed Gein is, of course, the most notorious. And, of course, more recently, Jeffrey Dahmer. But um, those woods... They're not lovely, dark, and deep. <clears throat> to disagree with Robert Frost, I mean, there's some very strange um, cults up there. There's, you know, revenants of various Native American things that aren't good. And um, so we had to, we had to, we we drew on that as witches. You know we were um we were all in for that, and um of course, we lived in Milwaukee, but um we went up there a lot to the northern part of the state
0: yeah well i ha- I have in my notes about uh yeah something you saw in Rhinelander, so we'll we'll definitely <laughs> we'll definitely get into that, I'm very curious. But uh, why don't since Luke's uh, here now, why don't we introduce ourselves and and give you a proper introduction, and then we'll we'll jump on in. Does that sure. sound good. Good evening. All right.
1: Good evening,
2: Leila Tov. Well, it's an honor having you uh, this evening, Mister William. Yeah, and I've seen uh, Doctor uh, listed on some of your videos. What are you a doctor of? I I don't think I've actually saw
1: that. Um, Well, of course, I have a master's degree from a Catholic seminary, in fact, in Milwaukee, St. Francis Seminary. I have another master's degree in counseling from Liberty, and then I have a doctorate in uh, naturopathic medicine from Ah. Trinity College of Natural Healing. So that's the deal.
0: Wow, that's really cool, Bill. Uh, naturopathic is something I've been interested in in, for a long time, and it's it can be hard to find a naturopathic doctor. If I mean,
1: if you're trying to stay away from the MDS, that can be well. You know, there are there are good MDS too. Now they they've kind of some of them have come over and left the dark side. (laughs) And I'm sure in Madison, there are some good naturopathic doctors, just Madison being what it is. Yes. But we know also of an extraordinarily talented uh, doctor. I mean, she's an MD in uh, Oak Creek, Wisconsin, who is very good. But she's she's into functional medicine and integrative medicine, which is an attempt to blend conventional allopathic medicine with herbalism and supplements, acupuncture, all of these different, you know, alternative modalities of healing. So they're around, yeah. you know, you well, just, that's... they're not often easy to find, but there's, there's some websites like ACAM and the American college for the advancement of medicine that lists all of the um, integrative medicine doctors in America. Okay. Now, I'd
2: venture to guess, especially in that field, um, you have to be careful of a lot of Asian practices, a lot of spiritual New Age connections, um, especially if they're blending in religious things to the, quote, natural practices. Wouldn't you agree you would need some discernment when it comes to that?
1: Yes. And I mean, there's all sorts of weird things that go on, you know, like Reiki and... You know, stuff like that, using crystal. I mean, crystals in and of themselves are just things that, you know, God made. But these people that, you know, they think they can somehow use them to do sorcery or shamanism. Yeah, you need to be careful. But I tell people you need to be careful with a medical doctor. Because a lot of medical doctors are working for the devil. And they don't even, maybe they know it, maybe they don't. So
2: I'll have to uh, share this with my wife is grew up in the occult and she's got uh, uh, a sister of hers that's actually a nurse, registered nurse, and she would be in the NICU. So she's in the NICU. She's dealing with these newborns, especially preemies, and she's a practicing witch. I mean, all full blown. And so that's... Another example of what you're saying is, like, even though you might be in a a, a, a traditional hospital, man, you need to go in there with a a sword and a shield and, you know, the blood of Jesus. I mean, you just, you got to be wary.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the funny thing is, as it happens, and, you know, we didn't start out to do this, but every single either MD or DO, you know, an osteopathic doctor that we deal with, they're all Christians, you know, different, you know, flavors, if you will, but they're all believers. And, you know, that's a blessing, but, you know, you can find all kinds of creepy people in the medical field more now, I think than are earlier.
0: Yeah. I, I can't remember what story it was that I heard, but it was something to do with, you know, make sure that your doctor or your chiropractor is not practicing these particular, you know, moves on you, you know, and they might think it's just to your benefit, but some of these things, yeah, can have ties to, to other things. Uh, Luke, uh, gave a testimony way back, Luke, when was that like episode 10 or something where you had taken a a mushroom extract supplement yeah, and and it was from kind of a new age, kind of a store. It was actually our,
2: it was actually our local farmer's market and. Oh, um, it was. Okay. I'm trying to remember the specific herb. It was the one dealing with, it's the mushroom dealing with brain health. um, which I think is lion's mane. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think that's a a God given thing. um, You know, in the natural, but the individuals that had sold it, I could tell they're definitely not Christians. They're definitely practicing, um, some pagan worship. And there was a point where I was just, I had like brain fog. It was, it was not just fog. It was actually, it was, I was all over the place, almost like a schizophrenic where I was just, my mind was just racing. And, um, I don't know. For, for, I took a shower that evening, and, and I actually prayed to the Lord, and, and I, I did some, some battling. I, I bound some things and cast some things out, and I ended up throwing that particular bottle away uh, because it had some of their their markings from their their um, business, which I believe were tied to their religious practices as well. So yeah, I don't know. I definitely well, you know, got an just, immediate you know. clarity.
1: We advise everybody. I don't care if it's a pharmaceutical drug, or it's an herb, or it's a vitamin. Pray over the things before you even bring them in the house. Mm, yeah. You know, plead the blood of Jesus over them. Pray that anything that's wicked, you know, be cast out and just left standing at the door. Mm. And um, that will do. And even with food, we do that. So that that's one thing we do recommend, especially if people are having great spiritual difficulties in their life because, you know, the, the pharmacies, I mean, you know, there's the whole spirit of pharmacia. It might be a totally legitimate prescribed drug, but it can still have nasty stuff in it that the pharmacist has put into it because there are pharmacists that are witches.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, well, then that's another word for sorcery, isn't it?
1: Yeah, um, well in the Book of Revelation, you know, it talks about, you know, Babylon the Great and all of her sorceries that deceived the nations. Well, that's the word Pharmacaea in Greek. Right.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yep, got to be wise about that kind of stuff. That's important. Well, welcome Bill Schneblin. We're we're just again privileged to have you with us and appreciate your time tonight. Uh, I've been a fan of yours for years. Like I said, just finding you on YouTube a decade or so ago with those prophecy club videos and the thing that, the thing that stuck in my memory to this day. And I tell people about it is this guy was this religion, that religion, this religion. And he was a vampire for like a year drinking blood. And, and, and I, and I want to ask you about that. So we'll get to that if that's all right with you. Sure. Yep. yep, but um but really what I get out of this as we're all Christians, right, is what what can we understand about the spiritual world? How can we be wise as serpents, innocent as doves and draw from your experience because you've been on the other side in so many different arenas. Um and I think that's very instructive.
1: Well, yeah, and I think, unfortunately, in many churches, not all, but this sort of thing is de-emphasized. I mean, a lot of pastors don't want to talk about, you know what, in my book, Blood on the Doorpost, there's a term they use in missiology, um, the idea of the excluded middle. Most Christians don't want to think about that. They're okay thinking about the earth. That's the bottom, so to speak. And they're okay thinking about God and maybe, you know, his angels to a degree. And that's okay. That's at the top. But there's this whole middle arena, including the realm of dreams. And that's where all the warfare takes place. And uh, most pastors and and most Christians don't want to venture into that area Because it's more fuzzy. I mean, it's, and it's, you do need spiritual discernment to know what's going on there. But because it's not taught and because it's not dealt with properly by pastors and teachers and so on, a lot of people just get hit out of the blue and they don't know what it is and they don't understand the dynamics behind it. And that's partly why, you know, 1994, we wrote Blood on the Doorpost, is because it's intended to be kind of a, well, somebody said it was a a graduate course in spiritual warfare. And we wanted it to be available out there. and We've sold hundreds of thousands of copies of that book over the decades, and I just praise God for that. But in fact, we had a couple of pastors that, for Father's Day, they bought a copy for every every father in the church. They ordered like two hundred some, you know, copies of the book and made sure every every dad in the in the in the uh, in the congregation had one. I wish every pastor. Well, I sounds sort of like I want to make money, but I mean, <laughs> if but I it's could important. afford to just put it out there for free, I would.
2: Yes. But you are right because a lot of churches don't want to touch on the spiritual or the supernatural and they definitely don't want to touch on what the enemy's doing and the dark side of things but if they're not aware of what's going on they can be attacked and they don't know how to fight it
0: yeah and like you said bill it's fuzzy it's it's an intangible right it's not they can't sink your teeth into it as easily as you can John 316 and yeah. so i think i think a lot of pastors stay in the safe lane at their church
1: Well, plus another problem is a lot of times, and again, this is not true of every church, but many churches have a lot of Freemasons in them and they get themselves into positions of authority, you know, the deacon board or, you know, whatever it might be that the church is is run on and um, they will make it known to the pastor if he starts talking about stuff that maybe you ought not to do this reverend you know and like one pastor friend of mine said there's too many pastors out there that tiptoe through the tithers
0: oh that's well put that is well put very interesting well um why don't we start we were talking about wisconsin and some of your upbringing um i know that uh you you've recounted many times about going out trick or treating as a as a kid and and seeing that demonic black sky with it looked like thousands of bat eyes, red eyes in the sky. And you kind of mark that as as maybe an area where the dark side was kind of tempting you towards the occult. And and, and was it from that point that you began to have interest in in things of the occult uh after that point? Because I remember you talking about an interest in haunted houses and things like that kind of following that event. Yeah.
1: Is that, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think that's pretty true. I mean, I don't know for sure, but because I was raised in a very devout Catholic household and, you know, I never even saw a horror movie until I was in college. And um, so, yeah, I think that, that when you, and people don't understand this about children, but if you expose a child to something really frightening. Like, you know, like you say, looking up at the sky and seeing a sky full of demons or letting the the child watch a horror film or take him to these, a lot of places on Halloween, have these haunted houses. Any one of these things can open up a child's soul. It can create what we call an open doorway for the spirit of fear. And, you know, that can get its hooks into the child. And before you know it, there's another part of this equation, which is that if the child is afraid, and especially if his parents or her parents kind of poo-poo it, and they say, oh, there's no such thing as this stuff. There's no such thing as ghosts. There's no such thing as whatever. Um the child is going to feel at sea. They're going to feel a little out of control in a way that is very uncomfortable for a little child or even a young adolescent. And they will, in turn, look elsewhere for control. And that's where, you know, especially nowadays, I mean, in back when I was a young person, you couldn't find anything in a library about the occult. It just wasn't a thing. But, of course, now it's all over the Internet. But, you know, you start thinking, okay, if I can't get answers from my parents, if I can't get answers from my pastor, maybe I need to go somewhere else. And, of course, the television comes along. You know, in my era, it was bewitched. You know, the TV show with the cute... Um, all-American girl witch that twitched your nose and whatnot. And I remember when I was, I couldn't tell you the name. It was a made-for-TV movie, and it starred Louis Jourdan, that French guy who's probably long dead now. But he played this expert in the occult. And he was being used to solve crimes that were, you know, occult-related. It was like a two-hour movie. And that intrigued me. And again, that's Hollywood. You know, you're never going to see in a Hollywood movie a Christian triumph over evil. Uh, hardly ever. And if it is, it's always a Catholic priest. And um, because, believe me, I before I got saved, I bet I watched a thousand horror movies. Easy. And none of them would ever give the glory to God. It was always either the Catholic Church, which I know most people think of as godly, but it's it's a heresy. It's off kilter, badly. And otherwise, it's like some occult thing the person uses to fight evil. So, you know, and that's that's what happened, I think, with me is a combination of being scared out of my wits and having this door opened up, and then I I perceived that, you know, there might be a way to solve this by studying the occult. And then, of course, in college, I wanted to be a priest because, of course, I had this idea, which, you know, is probably in the Catholic Church, that priests have the power to fight evil. Uh, you know, one of the minor orders of the Catholic Church. I mean, it still is, but it used to be the Order of Exorcist. And um, But then I had a priest tell me, who was a uh, college professor, Ph.D. in theology, in one of the classes in college, that if I wanted to be like Jesus, I needed to study the occult, because that's what he did. He went to... Egypt and studied with the magicians. He went to Tibet. He, you know, all this stuff. And that's how he got all these magical powers to, you know, walk on water and all of that. And, you know, here's this guy who's, you know, he's got a Roman collar on. I'm an 18 year old freshman, whatever. You're going to, you know, and especially because in my day, we were taught that whatever the priest says, it's like God talking to you. There is no you don't contradict the priest. And so when he said that, I went out and I started to find books on the occult and witchcraft. And by the time I was a junior in college, I'd written to the King of the Witches in London. And he arranged to have me get initiated into a coven in Illinois. Because at this time I was in Dubuque, that Loras College. And I mean, I think, I don't know if you've read my book, Lucifer Throne. But all that was my autobiography, and all of that. I mean, there is so many weird paranormal things going on at that college. And again, it's a Catholic minor seminary college. And um, I mean, hauntings, um, telekinesis, poltergeist activity. I mean, you know, I was in a, I was a music major, and I was in a rock band. If you can imagine me being in a rock band, but I was. <clears throat> and anyway, we had this whole situation. We were we, They used to let us play, practice our band, you know, in the basement of the music department. And one one time our bass player went into part of the, the, um, the music department that everybody just knew. If they were a student, you don't go into that part of the music department after dark. You just don't. It was haunted. Pianos would play without anybody being there, you know, weird things happening. So this guy, unbeknownst to himself, he went in and they, were, they had double doors because, you know, the soundproofing to not have the music bother other classes. And he literally got thrown out of the room. He got thrown through two sets of double doors, wooden doors, and smashed into the wall by an unseen force. Because he dared to walk into that room after sunset. So, anyway, and all that, you know, all of that, you know, kind of primes the pump for an, uh, a curious, inquisitive young man. And what I did was to kind of put an ending to that, this went on for over a year, all these different haunting things in the basement of Christ the King Chapel here in Dubuque. And um, so we kind of tracked it down to the fact that that the wife of a very wealthy donor, I'm not going to say the guy's name, but who gave tons of money to the college, she was buried in the basement of that chapel. And the whole thing, I got to say this too, backing up a few months, the whole thing got started when On Halloween night, this older upperclassman guy who thought he knew everything, he invited us. We were going to go because he had heard that this woman was buried in the music department basement, behind closed doors. Under the altar of the church was right above it, and anyhow, we were going to have a séance and call up this spirit of this woman and so we're all sitting on the floor outside of this double door and you know did you have seen things on tv about saying oh we're calling we're all holding hands they're calling on you blah blah whatever you know and all of a sudden the doors started to rattle boom, 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 you know like that and we knew we were all holding hands Nobody was making the doors rattle, no physical person. And at that point, we just went out of the room. I mean, we just fled like, well, like the devil is after us. But we stirred something up and we opened doorways. I think for all the people that were sitting in that little circle, they were defiled by the sin of necromancy, which is what a seance is. They were defiled by the presence of of evil and so anyhow at the end of all of this it went on for a year and a half i decided somehow or i'd gotten a hold of a book called the greater key of solomon now if you've heard of that but it's a it's a magical grimoire um, ritual book from like six or seven hundred years ago and it was supposedly written by king solomon because occultists like to say that Solomon was a ceremonial magician. So anyhow, I took this book and I used a credit card and clicked open the door to this tomb on the anniversary of this woman's death. And I went in there with this ritual book and a flashlight and I read the right, the magical rite of exorcism over this tomb i actually stood on the tomb and I, my friends were outside waiting for me to get you know thrown out the window or dismembered into seven parts or something and and nothing happened but after that the haunting stopped and see that convinced me of the power of the occult and i was sold at that point i i became a witch i became a witch high priest and then Moved to Milwaukee because there was a, a cult bookstore there. I don't think it's there anymore. Um, in downtown Milwaukee. And they wanted me to teach classes. We initiated 175. I personally initiated 175 women into witchcraft. And um, that's and I plus I was instructed by the Grand Druid of North America to become a Freemason. And so I did that. The guy that owned the occult bookstore told me I should look at the Satanic Bible, and I didn't want to because I said, "Well, we don't even believe in the devil." See, witches say they don't believe in the devil, but they believe in this horn god, who's called Hearn or you know Cernunos or some fool thing. But it's just a mask; it's a mask for the devil.
0: Right. It's pretty sin veiled.
1: Yeah, yeah. And we, uh, so I got in the Church of Satan. And uh, it just kept getting worse and worse because that's how the occult is. It's like a drug. And you keep needing a bigger hit and a bigger hit to get the same results. And uh, along the way, we picked up hundreds of followers. And um, we had the largest network of covens on the west coast of Lake Michigan. This was all in the 70s. And, um, I got involved in hardcore Satanism, which is much more serious than the Church of Satan. We used to call the Church of Satan comic opera Satanism. Yeah. <laughs> because it was all theatrical stuff. Right. And of course, LeVay and his current, I forget what the guy's name is that's running it now, because LeVay's been dead like for almost 30 years, but he, uh, he said, well, we don't really believe in the devil. He's just a, an archetype for us. And that's the same line this current outfit, the, the satanic temple or whatever it is. They said they don't even believe in the devil. They just believe in freedom and intellectual rigor and
0: Yeah, do what abortion. thou wilt. Yeah, the, yeah. What it, whatever man wants to do, that's that's the law, right? As was it Crowley that said that? Yes, yes. And I was a follower
1: well to... of him. I was big time into yeah. Crowley.
0: Yeah. Did you ever hear that story of uh LeVay on his deathbed? Yeah. Do you think that do you think that happened? I mean, he he's he's seeing something that he's not expecting and he goes, something is wrong, something is wrong, something is very wrong.
1: Well, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean I've yeah. seen both a video which is obviously old and I've seen, you know, and mean, you know, people can tell stories about anything, but I would not have want to, you know, be Anton LaVey on his deathbed. No way. Because he led so many thousands of people. I mean, he was like the Billy Graham of Satanism. Right. And, um, all of those souls are on him.
0: Yep, yep. He must've seen something that, that shocked him. And he's, you know who knows what the devil promised him or what he believed in that he was going to receive some measure of power and and authority in the next life and and to have a rude awakening uh that uh it's quite the opposite wow well i want to i want to back up a bit um so you know halloween's coming up my my daughter told me she um one one of these last years she had seen some creatures apparently on trick or treating night and i was thankful that she at least told me about it um w- what is your advice there do you feel like if we are praying over our children and we, we know where that where there are and you know we give good advice that they're able to participate in something like that? Or would you say, because of your experience, like that's just too close to home for you and you wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole.
1: The latter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, what I, it's, f- it's <laughs> what hard I if all your friends are doing it. Yes. And you know, whatnot, but, and I know some churches have what they call hallelujah parties and, you know, I would not. Let, I really wouldn't let my kids out of the house on that night. I'd have something fun for them to do, you know, have a party, have popcorn or pizza or whatever, watch something wholesome, you know, on TV if you can find it, or you know, there's all sorts of Christian DVDs you can rent. That's what, that's I, what I was do. suggesting. I, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's what I was suggesting to her. I said, you know, what if we just stayed home? and we gave out the candy to everybody that that comes up to us. And and a lot of people Christians will use that too as a as a, a way to put in a, a gospel tract or something like that, right? Absolutely put it in with the candy. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, but it's but it seemed like that kind of along with that uh that professor unfortunately really pulled your interest into it. And do you feel like um if you had had a better supernatural context, biblically speaking, that you would have been more discerning at 18 years old because, because it isn't talked about in the church so much and the power of God isn't demonstrated very much.
1: Well, yes, definitely. And of course, remember I was a Catholic. Mm -hmm. So other than hearing readings from the gospel, which they do, you know, at church at mass, I didn't know. I mean, I knew about the life of Jesus. I knew who the devil was. I'd watched the Ten Commandments movie, you know, as in everybody. But, you know, I mean, I had very little knowledge of the Bible. And that kind of stuff, even way back, because we're talking here late 1950s, nobody talked about this stuff, not even in the Catholic church. I mean, you know, there was an independent Baptist church in our little town, but I didn't even know anybody that went there. I think there were five people in the whole congregation. The town was mostly Catholics and Lutherans. So, and neither of those denominations talk about spiritual warfare. They don't even really talk about how to protect your children. And I'm sure if they did, either A, my mother would have let me go out trick-or-treating, or B, she would have prayed over me Gave me a hug, put the armor of of God on me, and she probably wouldn't have even let, if she'd have known what the catastrophic consequences, I mean, she never would have let me out the door. Yeah. But, you know.
0: Do you you think there's, do you think there's been a sanitizing, because I hear this about, like, the age of, you know, enlightenment and uh, the age of reason, where some of the more supernatural things biblically speaking are kind of downplayed because when they're fighting against evolution for example when Darwin became popular that you know we we need to stick to the the concrete stuff that doesn't make us look silly so do you feel like there's a sanitizing of theology that our seminaries are cranking out pastors that mainly want to deal with the nuts and bolts fundamental stuff the the easy-to-preach stuff?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I I think, I mean, oddly enough, and I'll put this plug in, I am probably within 24 hours we're going to start producing our newest DVD. Ah. And uh, in there I talk about the, um, the three points of the Devil's Triangle that he's used to destroy Western civilization. And that's one of them, this uh, secularization and the, the sending into the academics, the world of academia, the world of seminaries, higher education, all of these liberal professors, these Bible denying professors. And like you say, a lot of pastors just don't want to seem like they're being silly or superstitious. And, and they get that, you know, and that's a problem because the problem is if pastors aren't preaching this stuff, what are the lay people supposed to do, you know? And it's really tragic because I believe that as preachers of the gospel, whether you're a pastor or evangelist or whatever, you need to stand to thwart the flow of history and the flow of sewage that's been pouring into – um America and basically the West, meaning like Europe and also Australia and whatnot, for the last really 100 years or so. And that's that's one leg of it. And the other leg of it is Freemasonry, which has entered the church big time. I mean, most churches, now even the Catholic Church, are full of Masons. And Masons are universalists. Masons are secularists. But more importantly, Masonry at its core is a pedophilia sacramental religion. And when a guy joins the lodge, whether he knows it or not, and he swears an oath and lets himself be tied up by this cable toe, it's called, around his neck. And I went through all of this stuff. You are bound to the lodge. You're under the headship of that, the grandmaster of the state of Wisconsin, in my case. And all, there's this trickle-down evil that comes down from him because I have no idea who the grandmaster is now, the state of Wisconsin. But the guy who was grandmaster when I was in all this stuff in the mid-'70s, he was one evil dude, evil. I mean, you wouldn't, you know, it's not like he walked around with a tattoo of a pentagram on his forehead. He looked like a very respectable businessman. But he was evil with a capital E. And may God have mercy on him. But so, you know, with masonry coming in and secularism and the social engineering that has been done. And then the third thing was the introduction by this Aleister Crowley, whom we've already mentioned, of this occult sex magic, pedophiliac kind of sex magic into the mix because Crowley became a high-level mason and so he he created this link this crossbreed between his system which is called thelema the Greek word for will and Freemasonry and then he went on believe it or not for a while he worked for British intelligence between the wars and uh, evil brilliant man And, of course, he died in 1947, a heroin addict living on nothing but opium and boiled eggs. Another guy who I would would not want to, you know, be there on Judgment Day with him. But I think that's a big part of it. I really do.